Welcome to Women in Venture Capital, a podcast by students for students. I'm Rashvina. And I'm Anvita. And we are from the Harvard Business School. Our guest today is Brittany Young. Brittany is a principal at NFX, an innovative seed stage venture fund based in SF. Prior to joining NFX, Brittany spent years in operations and product management as one of their early employees at startups Ethos, Uber, Synac, and App Annie. Brittany holds her MBA from the Harvard Business School and her bachelor's from Dartmouth. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show today, Brittany. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. So I talked a little bit about your startup experience in your intro. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that journey where you've had quite numerous roles from software engineering to product management? What really drew you to startups and those roles? Yeah, um, so I got a very uh, fateful start in the tech industry. I joined um, App Annie uh, more out of a reaction. So I went to BCG um, in undergrad. Uh, and after about a month or so of interning there, I kind of knew um, this isn't really what I expected consulting to be. I wanted to explore more paths and um, potentially do something else full time. So I took the last year of college off um, and just headed to China. I had been going there on and off again, um, and was really interested in the startup scene there. So I went to um, find this company. I, I found this company that was interesting. Uh, this is 2011, when the mobile app marketplace was kind of coming up and about. And this company called App Annie was in Beijing, um, kind of leveraging that international app marketplace that's, that's growing. Um, and I thought what they were doing was interesting. And I was in the right place at the right time that they were just like, oh, do you want to be a product manager? <laughs> and I'm still in college, you know, total noob, um, and was fortunate enough to uh, join the team. Um, and so that's how I got my start in, in startups. Um, of course, I think uh, I got very lucky that the company has now since grown and became like a leader in market intelligence for the mobile app market. So after that, um, I wanted to be more technical, um, took some uh, coding boot camps and self-taught myself to be an engineer. Um, went to Synac to be uh, an engineer. Um, Synac is a cybersecurity labor marketplace. Love that product of connecting labor with gigs. Um, didn't really enjoy being an engineer, so went back to more the product and growth side. And then what, that's when I joined Uber. Um, I'm originally from Korea, so um, the, the you know both of my personal life and work like kind of converged really well when Uber was launching internationally and expanding into the Asian market. Um, I have been away from my family for a really long time studying in the state, so it it was it worked out really well that um, you know that that I would join Uber to launch it into the Korean market. So that's what I did for a few years. Um, pre-business uh, school. And um, that was a lot of fun, of course. Um, it was Uber during its, you know, international expansion days, growth days. Um, there are things that I am not allowed to say on a public podcast that maybe I'll tell you about um, over drinks, but um, lots of fun stories there. And then um, went to business school to take a quick break from uh, you know, launching a marketplace from start, um, which was very exhausting, to be honest. And then after business school, um, also kind of by fate, I joined Ethos. I was kind of interested in fintech. And um, as millennial consumers are coming, you know, up in age, what are the 
what are the products that are going to be uh, disrupted? And um, insurance was one of them. So I joined Ethos um, and led operations there. So all four of those companies, well, Uber was Series D, um, Synac, AppAni, and Ethos were all seed or Series A. So they were all really early companies that, um, frankly, I got really lucky uh, uh, crossing paths with. That's really exciting, Brittany. And when you said that, you know, after your few years at Uber, you wanted to take a break from the, the hustle and just come to business school for that, I kind of um, completely echoed with you there. I've, I've been through the startup experience myself for about two to three years before coming to school. And I completely agree that it can get really crazy. And once you're passionate about it, it doesn't feel like it. But when you take that step back and say, you know, you've been giving 16 hours a day for the last few years now, it's time that you deserve a bit of a break. So I kind of echoed that sentiment with you there. But really exciting to hear your experiences and would love to nudge a little bit there. Like you, like you said, you started on early stage uh, companies for the most part, but we definitely know that most of these, if not all, have grown to be these giants. And uh, from what we have known, you got a chance to witness that growth firsthand, be a part of the change and, and drive those uh, impact and metrics yourself. So curious to hear that experience to seeing a really early stage venture um, from its early days to what it became and how, how were those experiences like? Yeah, I, I just want to take a pause right there and go back to that um you know why decision to leave the startup side and go back to business school because that's that's something that i've talked about a lot with other people considering mbas and and you know uh startup people trying to consider going to school or you know vice versa but i think it's both partially because it's it's the exhausting you know startup grind but it's also about for me at least maximizing learning so um i don't come from a family of uh, people being in business. I kind of, um, you know, was always curious about how companies get to grow and, you know, startups were such a, a, a well-positioned timing-wise in our generation to learn about how companies get to hyper-grow. Um, and, you know, to maximize learning, it felt like, okay, I'm in this one pond called Uber and they were an excellent company and obviously it was a rocket ship, but I, I was thirsting to learn more and take kind of like a wider aperture of different industries and maybe even different modes of operating, um, which, you know, Uber had a very strong culture. So I just wanted to expand more. And that was a big reason for um, going to business school. I think I, I did not answer your other question, though. So um, we can go back to that. <laughs> No, for sure. I, I, I'd love for you to answer the, the question, obviously, but I completely echo the the part you just said as well, because of course it's that taking a break. But for me, for instance, it was more about also opening the horizon to a lot of other global opportunities. Maybe you're thinking just beyond India, which is where I'm from. Maybe you're thinking more about different industries and sectors, maybe. So I, I completely agree that education is definitely another motivation too, but probably the starting point gets you to saying that, okay, can I take a break? And then what should that break look like is for me, at least where, where MBA fit in. But anyways, I think continuing the conversation would love to hear your experiences of seeing startups from where they were in their early days to actually the, the massive growth that they uh, witnessed and how you were a part of that. How I was a part of that, that growth stage. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, frankly, um, I've spent a lot of time thinking about, did I just get lucky or am I good at picking companies? And I'm more leaning on the sides of, um, I think I got very, very lucky. Um, these four startups that I was at have grown over 30X in valuation, which is kind of, you know, frankly, 
better than top uh, returns <laughs> in venture. So I'm hopeful that I can, uh, you know, live up to that in my investing career. But that's 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 really hard when when your sample size gets bigger, right? So. I think there are some things that you can do when you think about choosing which startup to join, for instance, that kind of maximizes your chances of being at the right place at the right time and and choosing the rocket ship to to join. I think uh, I think it was Sheryl Sandberg who said something along the lines of, you know, if you see a rocket ship, it doesn't matter what role it is, just join. And that was how she described her, you know, joining Facebook. Um, so there are some things that you can kind of, um, I, I do think that that you can do to increase your chances of finding goals like that. Um, but, you know, the context, subcontext behind all of that is that there is a lot of luck involved with, you know, how cycles about different things work. Um, you know, Google was the eighth search engine, like who would have known? Um, there was MySpace before Facebook. There's just like so many factors of luck in it. Um, Uber wasn't the first peer-to-peer -peer transportation provider. Like it's it's a lot to do with um, things you can't really control. So I'll give that um, kind of as a as a, a pretext, and then say, you know, in terms of joining roles, um, I do air more. I, I think I agree more with with Cheryl's comment on that. Um, you know, when you you're you're optimizing for just growth and experience as opposed to maybe the seniority or um, you know sometimes even comp can take a step back. I when I joined Uber, I actually took like a I, I forget now it was like a sixty percent pay cut. So and but I just really believe that this product um, you know needed to expand into international markets, and this is where I want needed to be at that time and you know at that point in time. This was every every point when I joined um, each of the company, even if it was, you know, for uh, even for when it was at Benny, when I was just straight still in college, um, each of those decision point was like, okay, this, given the lay of the land and understanding how this market is, is kind of shaping up to be, this is an interesting white hot center to be at that I'll, I'll walk away learning something. And when you maximize on, on that learning, I think that just that's like the gravity that pulls you towards interesting things. That's really, really interesting. And great to hear your insight from the very early days, because obviously, as we know, you know, companies like Uber today is very different from what it was um, a couple of years back. So that's super, yeah. super interesting to me, um, especially, you know, the pay cuts and everything, the stuff that you have to go through early stage while you're still building the company. Um, I think that is something that not a lot, not a lot of people get to know about. So um, super interesting. I wanted to ask, just moving from the startup world to investing, how did that happen? What was the thinking behind it and why NFX? Yeah, absolutely. So I'd been in the startup ecosystem for um, many years from these jobs and you know, would sometimes present to VCs or um, just, you know, it's, it's, it's the ecosystem. There's a very um, kind of thin wall between the investing side and operating side, I think, as, as especially in today's time when um, lots of operators are angel investing and sometimes operators tend to know what's actually the most um, kind of interesting things that are happening. So 
um, I had done a little bit of angel investing and I thought, okay, I love kind of, um, well, A, I love being surrounded by founders and B, I really enjoy learning about different products and just thinking about product and growth in many different cases, kind of like when you go to business school, when you're doing case studies, as opposed to working in one company. So um, I love the learning aspect of it. Um, so that was kind of at the back of my head. It was like, oh, maybe venture will be a really fun experience for me. Part of it was also, um, you know, I got lucky with that that um, 30x growth IRR multiple thing. But can I actually get smart instead of just being lucky? Can I learn from a disciplined way of how to look at market? So that was a, a, a driver for considering VC and. Um, it also, like many things in my career, was very by fate. I, I didn't really talk with any other funds um, when I was transitioning NFX. Um, I had heard amazing things about it's a fairly, um, you know, younger fund. We're in our um, we're we're in our second fund. We're actually just almost wrapping up our third fund fundraising, and it's a pretty young fund, but started by well, a all operators, and b focus on seed stage. Um, and and see had a, a, a thesis that kind of you know a philosophy as opposed to just being kind of oh we just like to invest in things that are interesting so those three were kind of what I um, inadvertently were looking for um, some were much clearer than the other like the operating focus I knew from the get go that I would only join a VC fund if they um, if they saw value in my operating experience you know right I was. Um, I have a lot of experience with people ops, leading teams um, and uh, operations. Um, and I wanted that to be actually valuable to portfolio companies. And I think that that's the most valuable in a seed stage or you know early stage fund when, or when the companies that you're seeing are just really early and maybe they don't have the bandwidth to think about these things or maybe the right decision that you make today is going to pay off multiple folds later on. That's definitely what I've seen in um, the companies I was at, that some of the best decisions that they made were actually made really early on. So um, those are kind of the things that I was optimizing for. And um, NFX partner, Pete actually had Angel invested in Ethos. Um, and I had heard that, oh, you know, Pete might be expanding his team. So that's just kind of one thing led to another. Um, and it was a great timing on the transition because I kind of finished interviewing and we were talking about start date when the pandemic started. <laughs> so um, I transitioned, you know, uh, I think I started in like a week after lockdown or something. It was like crazy times, you know, we there's so much uncertainty. And I think it just goes to show that, um, you know, I, I do give uh, our fund a lot of credit for like having the foresight to, oh, we need to expand our team. Yes, there's this pandemic going on, but like we have this culture fit and we, you know, have we know that we're going to have uh, a need for someone else. So like, let's move on with it. I think that also comes from the operating background. The founders or sorry, the partners um, have started um, 11 companies and, you know, lots of lots of exits. So I do respect them from both as an operator and an investor. So um, that's a little bit of why I joined NFX and how I got to join VC. That's really interesting. And I think what I love most about your approach has been that, you know, you want to play on your strengths and ensure that those strengths turn out to be assets in places where you join. So I think NFX was the right fit in terms of the stage, the sectors probably, and um, even the team that you were looking to work with both on the partner, partner and investing team, as well as the founding team. So, Really exciting to hear. Um, 
as an investor now Brittany what sectors or themes you're most excited about especially with the post pandemic world that everybody is now looking up to what areas you feel are um, really catching on the tailwinds um yeah there's there's floating themes that I get kind of excited about, and I will say that in C stage, um, is, as opposed to more on the growth side, um, in C stage, I think you have like just the the pace of of um, things are just much faster. So you kind of have to have like a bunch of different fields that you're dipping your toes in, and then you, um, especially as a as a generalist fund. So we have fifty percent enterprise and fifty percent consumer. Um, so we end up, kind of, and, and it's a relatively small fund given that we are have a pretty big fund size. Um, so we end up playing in a lot of fields, and you can tell from my background that I was at um, some B two B companies like Sinek and Appani and Ethos and Uber were you know very consumer. So a lot of it is is extension from my background, but um, so some of the things are that I'm interested in are within fintech. Um, I think that alternative sources of funding and alternative underwriting is what's interesting. So what are the ways that you can, you know, uh, leverage um, AI to be better at underwriting or different asset classes that, that can be created because you're doing something new with underwriting. So an example is we are uh, just finishing up an investment into a company um, that's uh, using, you know, using uh, SaaS company data to do uh, alternative sources of capital for for SaaS companies. Um, so that's you know a new asset class that that's emerging there. Um, and then on the consumer fintech side, I mean, you know, what is twenty twenty one without talking about rise of retail investing and the Wall Street bets and all of that? I do think that there is a huge tectonic shift that we're seeing with um just democratizing investing even more um obviously robin hood ipo'd and that was you know many years ago but what's the next chapter in that what happens when everyone is expected to be investing and has this giant thirst for um you know creating more wealth and um having access to alternative assets um or there are going to be communities that are created so that people can talk about them and get inspiration from them are you know what's going to be the new mutual funds and what's going to be the new ETFs? Is there going to be changes in that? So that's that's an area that's had a lot of noise, honestly, um, and exciting stuff. You know, exciting changes. I'm not sure, you know, if I have a, a strong thesis on what that is going to look like in five years. Um, I was one of the first thousand users on Robinhood, and I remember the first time I opened the app, and it was just like this this like, I don't know, skin prickling experience. And um, I don't know if the, if, if I've seen something like that um, in retail investing yet, or you know, if, if I've noticed that I've seen something like that in that, um, but that is one field that, that I'm really excited about that this future of investing and how um, consumers are investing is changing really rapidly. Um, another one that's a little bit break from FinTech is future of work. Um, that is a very broad category to say, but as people are working remotely and, you know, more people are, or more companies are adopting this, like, 
yeah, remote hybrid and, and, you know, we still don't know what that's going to look like in Q3 as some companies are asking people to be back on uh, in person and some of the cities, you know, in San Francisco, you're seeing kind of a bustling activity, but at the same time, a lot of people are moving outside of San Francisco. So it's, it's really a, a book that is changing as we speak right now. Um, but what are the you know, within the workplace, what are the tools that are going to become more important as you um, go through this big change in how we, you know, work as a, how we operate as, 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 as a companies? Um, so is it going to be, I think there are things that, that really do need help that, that smart people should attack and work on things like employee onboarding, um, manager relationship, um, you know, culture building, like there's a lot of HR SaaS is a very hard space to um, get into. But if there ever was a good timing for this, I think now would be a really good opening for that, where um, the focus on, you know, these things are no longer nice to have and um, more of a necessity. So I'm excited for those kind of three buckets, if you will. Um, yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, retail investing was a huge topic at and outside of school for a couple months, um, for sure. And it's an ongoing conversation. Um, and so that's really interesting. Thank you so much for sharing uh, um, your thoughts on those. Just shifting gears uh, a little bit and kind of concluding this conversation before we go into the rapid fire questions. I um, just wanted to ask you about your experience with inclusion and diversity in the workplace. Any advice on what can be done differently? Hmm. Let me think on this a little bit. Um, I think that it starts from the, you know, in, across all levels. Um, when, when I joined uh, uh, startups, um, it was very commonplace to always be the only woman in the company. I think in the first um, two roles, I was the uh, only woman in the, um, in the team. And um, that was really normal. And I didn't realize as, um, as time went on just how much of a blessing it is to have other people who look like me just in the room, just presence. And um, that comes from like everything, right? Just having uh, more um, policies and uh, cultural decisions that make people feel more included and presented in the workplace. Um, and I think there's so many, I mean, I don't even know where to get started. That's why I was like having a hard time thinking about where to get started. Things like maternity policies, um, things like having employee resource groups where people can be more open and, and um, talk kind of and, and connect with um, people with similar background, backgrounds on um, some of the common, uh, um, uh, uh, I guess, challenges that they face. Um, a big one that I've seen that's been the case in every single job is imposter syndrome. How do you combat imposter syndrome? And it's not going to be easier if you're the only woman in manager positions, if you're the only woman in, in um, the leadership team, if you're the only woman in a room that's presenting to the board. And I've been in all three of those cases, and it's really intimidating. Um, and you know that that's that's something that I hope for um, is that when 
we have kids um, and our kids are thinking about um, you know, what jobs to get into and, 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 and all of that, they can have a lot more role models, models of people in those positions so that it's not no longer just one woman in that board, one woman in that, um, you know, in that leadership team, that, that it's more of like it, that, that it becomes something that they don't even think about. So I think it's just about presence, um, increasing presence everywhere. Um, some companies, you know, do things like, uh, diversity metrics, um, some companies do things on the hiring end, like how can you make sure that you're hiring for more diverse candidates? Um, and there is a lot of tactical things that you can do. I don't think it's a one size uh, fits all solution. Um, those things all have their shortcomings, like on the diversity metric. One of the things that really um, one of the biggest shortcoming is that um, oftentimes, you know, you, you have diversity metrics that are really skewed that are like, oh, yeah, we have X percent women, X percent people of color. Oh, well, but are they all in uh, support teams and are they all in HR and marketing? Um, you know, the, those teams are often not all completely um, represented. You know, there are some teams or, or there are more managers that are diverse or is it more that entry level employees um, make up for most of the diverse. So, so I think, you know, it just goes to show that like one solution is not going to um, move the needle that much. You just have to constantly be thinking about what are the ways that that you can increase um, inclusion and diversity and, and keeping in mind that those things are not just things you should do because you're a good person. Like that's actually what's good for business. You know, there's been lots of studies that prove that diverse opinions, and I'm sure HBS has, has gone to a lot of, um, you know, a lot of examples on this, right? There's been lots of studies on how um, having an open mind and being more representative of different um, people make to better decision-making and, you know, just more creative processes. Like that's, that's good business principle. So you should try to replicate that in all the ways that, that um, you operate. Completely agree there, Brittany. Thank you so much for sharing this and transitioning into a rapid fire, keeping it short and fun this time. Um, what is your one getaway place that you'd love to take a vacation on whenever? Oh, that's a really fun one. Does it have to be a regular place or is, can it be someplace that I've only gone once? <laughs> well, your, your choice. Okay, um, I'm going to do both because I love talking about vacations. Um, I love going to Napa. I think that's a very uh, privileged thing that people in San Francisco and Bay Area have access to. It's so close. It's very, um, you know, 30 minute and you're, you're kind of in the countryside. Things are a lot more laid back, even if you're not a wine drinker. So um, I do try to go um, as often as I can, although um, the, the fires are getting worse and it's really sad how things are changing very quickly um, with climate change, but that's like the more regular um, uh, vacation spot. Uh, last year, we got to go on our honeymoon. Um, it was very rushed and opportunistic because of the pandemic. We just took a Thanksgiving week to go to Maldives, and that was unbelievable. Um, just the amount of you know fish and uh, the snorkeling it was amazing. You're literally in this tiny island that you can walk around the circumference in like 10 minutes. It was, um, I don't know if any vacation can top that for in the near future. So I, I feel like I have to mention this because it's, I would recommend anyone who gets a chance to be able to go. It's very far, but totally worth it. I love it. Beautiful. 
Um, what's the one last one book that you read last and you were really inspired by? Hmm. I'm reading this now. Um, it is called Courage to be Disliked. Um, and I'm inspired by this because it's it's kind of going into this like Edlerian psychology, which is more um I don't know how I would describe this. It's it's not so much that it's tough love, but it's like, okay, you know don't really focus on the cause of why you are the way you are, or, you know, there was trauma or you were hurt because of X, Y, Z focus on what can you do now on your lifestyle to have the, the life that you want. You know, if you want to be less shy, then focus on what is the purpose of you exhibiting your shyness and how can you, um, how can you have a life that is like, that makes you happy and how can you align the choices that you do to what makes you happy so it just totally not I usually mostly read business books as, as leisure but this is like kind of far out um and you know psychology kind of wrecks, wrecks my brain a little bit but this is this has been kind of fun so I would recommend uh that one sounds really exciting thank you so much for joining us Brittany this has been a great conversation I'm sure our listeners will really appreciate it thank you great thanks guys <laughs>